Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We know that you alone are God. There is none else. There were no other gods before you, neither shall there be any after you. You alone are the one who has created the heavens and the earth, who have formed us and breathed into us the breath of life. It is you who has given to us the, the privilege of knowing you. We know that to our own selves we would never seek you, but that you desire all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And we thank you, Lord, for your word, which is true, which is quick, which is powerful, which is sharper than a two-edged sword, which truly is the word of God. And Lord, we're thankful that we can open it up and to know that you have recorded to us truth, that we can understand you and your expectations of us. Lord, I pray that you would help us this day to desire to set apart every moment to you. And I pray that even now, Lord, as we look into your word, that um, we would be set apart to you and that your truth would be proclaimed for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. All right. If you have looked into your bulletin, you'll notice that we are doing things differently today. And um, one of the things I've talked about many times is the fact that um, our worship is responsive to the looking at God in his word. And I have been mindful of that many times as we've gone through these, this series and knowing God and specifically now looking at his attributes that how much considering God has just overwhelmed me. And, um, and so our worship should be responsive of considering who he is. And so we're going to do things just a little bit differently today. We're going to look at God um, in his word. And then, if you notice, then we're going to have, um, coming out of it, some songs of praise and then opportunities for testimony um, of, for clearly who God is in your life. And so, um, so that's how we're going to do things today. So be in prayer that Bob doesn't forget that halfway through and think that, oh, I still have another hour to preach. Anyways, um, anyways I'm sure someone will, yeah, Rodney says, I'll let you know. i got you covered, Bob. I got, I've got your back. In fact, I've got the back. Anyways, so... <laughs> um, but we have been, over this past year, looking at knowing God as a quest. Not as a, a study, necessarily, but as the desire to increasingly grow in our knowledge of God, who He is. And because Jesus has said that this is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And in that, we have then considered the existence and exclusiveness of God. We have looked at the composition of God, that He is three and yet He is one. And we have begun then looking as well as the attributes of God, considering his natural attributes, considering his vocational attributes, and now being in the midst of his moral attributes, and that is who he is. And you'll note on your sermon note sheet, if you have that, that I have a, a little note there that stating that we have seen God, that God in his goodness, um, or that through his attributes, that God is holy and righteous, but that we saw in the midst of that that we are not. God is holy and righteous in, in his dealings, but we, we're not. And then secondly, we saw that in these moral attributes as we went through them, that God is loving and 
faithful, and in that lovingness part of God, and that faithfulness part of God, that he desires for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. So even though God is holy and righteous, and that no man can be found in his presence who is unrighteous or an unholy, which means what? All of us. None of us can, can be in his midst. But God still desires. God is love. God is faithful. His chesed is, is everlasting. And so, in that, he desires for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And we say, well, how does all this come together? And so, last week, we saw, in beginning to look at the, the goodness of God, that the goodness of God comes out in, in two parts, and that is his grace and his mercy, but that it is intricately interwoven with the righteousness of God as well. And so we see that God in his goodness made a way for us to be reconciled to him through the payment of the penalty of our sins. Now, how did that payment of the penalty of our sins come? What came by God himself being incarnate, coming to the earth, living the life, tempted in every way such as we are, yet without sin. And then as he died on the cross, he paid that penalty. He paid what what I owed. But it doesn't just stop there. It's not just a matter of Jesus dying on the cross, but that he was what? He was raised from the dead. And that really is the power of the gospel, that Jesus was raised from the dead. Think about it. If Jesus merely died, big deal. So you have reconciliation with God while you're on the earth. And then it's all over with. And so, from that point of view, your faith is what, Paul says? In, in vain. It's, it's meaningless. It's futile. You might as well eat, drink, and be merry. You might as well go out and get all the gusto you can while you're here and then die. But the fact is, you have the potential to have an eternal life with God. Or you have the potential to have eternal condemnation apart from God. Because as we saw, each individual made in the image and likeness of God will live will exist eternally. The question is, where will you spend that eternity? So God, in his goodness, made a way so that we can be reconciled to him, and in a sense, we can spend then all of eternity in his presence, in the joy of his presence. We then saw, as we looked at the definition of God's goodness, that how God's goodness was split up into those two parts, grace and mercy. And we saw how that grace, and they're up on the, 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 uh, the screen as well as in your notes, that grace is unmerited favor or honor rendered by one who doesn't need to do that, one who need not do so. And so when we biblically kind of boil that down, it says what? It's what I get, what I don't deserve. And so by God's, great, I, by God's grace, I get eternal life. Existence with God. I don't deserve that. Why? Because I'm a sinner. Right. God's mercy, or mercy, is compassion or kindly forbearance shown toward an offender, an enemy, and another person in one's power. So it's, I have the capacity, you are in my power, that, that I have the capacity to bludgeon you for what you've done, to spank you, to judge you, to throw you in jail. But in my, what, mercy, in my tender mercies, in my forbearance, I choose not to. That's what mercy is. And so biblically, we look at it, it's when I don't get what I do deserve. And so you can see how these kind of two go together. Grace is when I get what I don't deserve, and mercy is when I don't get what I do deserve. And so both of those are intricately woven into the salvation process. I do deserve what? Hell. Judgment. 
but I don't get that. I don't deserve heaven, but I do get it. Today, we want to begin looking at the application of God's goodness in my life. And first, we see, foremost, is that the, the consideration of God's goodness should provoke me to a desire to what? To worship him. And so we see in Psalm, in Psalm 96, verse 1 to 13, and it's up on the screen here, you can turn to it. Um, it says, oh, sing to Yahweh, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth. Who's supposed to be singing to him? Everybody. Everybody. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, proclaim what? Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Now, what did we just say coming through all this looking at God and his goodness? How is the goodness of God greatly portrayed throughout the scriptures and in our lives? Through his, through his grace and mercy, which culminate in what? His salvation. Do you get it? This is, this is the Psalms. That's what? New Testament or Old Testament? Old Testament. So, many times when we talk about Old Testament New Testament, salvation in the Old Testament, people think, came from what? Observance of the law. But as we read in the New Testament, salvation has never been by what? Observance of the law. Salvation has always been by faith because of the grace of God, because of his goodness. Christopher, do you have a question? No? Psalm 96. Psalm 96. Okay? And, and so, um, so I, I think this is awesome that here, even Old Testament saints are supposed to be proclaiming what? The good news of God's salvation. That sounds like it came from the New Testament, doesn't it? It's not New Testament. Proclaim the good news of God's of Yahweh's salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all the peoples. For Yahweh is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared. Wait. How can he be praised and feared at the same time? I mean, I thought I'm supposed to be praising God for his his love and his mercy. In his grace. I mean, I, there's no fear, right? Because perfect love casts out fear, right? But Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, I persuade men. And that has everything to do with proclaiming the gospel, because that's 2 Corinthians 5 where he says, being ambassadors of reconciliation, right? And if you take that, therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, and, and you bring it back into the biblical context, that word terror actually means fear, and so, therefore, knowing the what? Fear of Yahweh. The fear of the Lord. I persuade men. So here's Paul, the one who's the proclaimer of what? Grace, right? Who's saying what? I also understand there's the concept of what? Fear. Because both of those things go hand in hand. And he says, so for, fear, for Yahweh is great and greatly be praised, for he is to be feared above all the gods, for all the gods of the people are but idols, but Yahweh made the heavens. Now, you can see the dot, 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 drop down to verse 13. The rest of it's important, but this is the, the, the crucial part of it. It says, for he is coming. He is coming to what? Judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. Now, you get it. We're told in the very beginning of the psalm to declare what? The good news of his salvation. What's a part of the good news of his salvation? Okay, healing, deliverance, safety. That's kind of good, but you're not reading what he just said. Judgment. Fear of God. Judgment. That God's coming. 
with judgment. With righteousness, that's important. Okay. But think about it. If God's not coming to judge you, if you're never going to be judged, why do you need to be saved? Do you get it? If there's no condemnation, you don't need deliverance. You can live however you want to live. I mean, this isn't good news to people who want to live like they want to live, is it? No, at first it seems to be that you're what? Judging them. And you want to what? Hinder them. And so, this isn't good news. But it is good news. It's good news of deliverance. It's good news of salvation, of being saved from the judgment that is to come. That is news of the goodness of God. Do you get it? That's what it is. That's what good news is. Good news is news of the goodness of God. Because God doesn't have to do that. God said to Adam in the garden, you can eat from any tree you want to eat from, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, in the garden, there were two special trees. There was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but there was also the tree of life. So, it's an argument from silence here, but God said you can't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but by absence there, what did he say that he could eat from? He could have eaten from the tree of life. He could have chosen life and not death. But Eve and then Adam believed the lie and they chose to eat from death rather than life. Does that make sense? And God then would be just, God would be righteous, if he would then judge us according to our choice. We chose death. But God in his goodness said, no, I will make a way around that. And therefore, we should what? Give him glory and praise for it. Psalm 107. In your bulletin, you have Psalm 107. And I have it there as a responsive reading. Okay? And so, um, we will all say together the bold verses. Okay? Do you have that in your, in your bulletin there? Okay? It's a, okay? So, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. And if you would, let's, for the honor of God and for his word, let's stand together as we do this. Okay? Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. He led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. 
those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons, because they rebelled against the words of the God and despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down, and there was none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in two. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them, and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving, and declare his works with rejoicing. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord in his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind and lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens, they go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the stores so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know if you thought about that as I read through the, the stanza part, and then we all read together the chorus part, if you would, in this song um, that is here. But did any of those stanzas sound like you? Prior to salvation, walking in your own darkness, walking in your own lusts, and crying out to God and God delivering you? Does any of those sound like you in life right now? That there are times when it seems like there is Distress. Maybe you are the one who is on the ship of the sea and the storms of life are coming and you're, and you're raising up and then crashing down. And you remember to cry it out to God and God in His goodness delivered you out of your trouble and distresses. It's the reflection on God's goodness, the consideration of God's goodness. That should just cause us to be overwhelmed with praise to Him. Again, I mentioned this last week, but how many of you woke up this morning and, and ran over to the, the air tester that you have on the wall to make sure whether you could have came to, come today to make sure that there was a proper amount of oxygen and nitrogen, um, carbon dioxide and everything in the air? I mean, I'm sure you have one of those filters in your house to make sure that the, your air is properly balanced, at least in the home, so that even if it's not outside, that you can continue to breathe inside, right? I mean, you've, you've designed one of those to, to make sure. No, I mean, I'm being silly, ain't I? But it's because of the goodness of God that we have the sun. It's because of the goodness of God that we have the coldness of night. It's because of the goodness of God that you have the air to breathe. It's because of the goodness of God that you have food to eat. It's because of the goodness of God that you have, you have water to drink. And how many of those things we just take for granted? How many of you sweat? 
You do. Now, can I ask a question? Is it, is it because of the goodness of God that you sweat or not? It is. It is. Because what is sweat? It's, it's, no, sweat is not evaporation. It aids in the, the process of evaporation. It's air conditioning. That's right. It is crucial in the process of the air conditioning because when I sweat, then it what? Evaporates. And as it evaporates, what does it do for me, Ben? It takes heat away. God uses the sweat to cool me off. But many of us, we think sweat is a curse. But no, sweat is even part of the goodness of God. As he fearfully and wonderfully created us in his goodness, he made ways for us to process things. So as I, as I read this psalm over and over and over again, you read with me, what? Oh, that men would what? Give thanks to the Lord for what? For his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. So I ask you, as I'm going to ask you at the very end as we transition to the testimony time, how real is worship in your life? How often do you consider, honestly consider the goodness of God and give him the praise that he's worthy of? The thanksgiving. I mean, I know we, 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 we get together for breakfast or at lunch or at supper and it's our tradition to what? To give thanks to God for the food we're going to eat. So, but so many times it's just what? It's words. Because we're supposed to pray. We seem very unreligious and, uh, uh, you know, unchristian-like if we don't pray. You know, I remember during this week, now you think of a group of missionaries all getting together, right? That, you know, we did have a massive time of prayer in the morning. It was awesome. It was a great time. But you would think that you would all have this corporate prayer for lunch and for, for dinner and everything. We didn't. <laughs> because, you know, there was so many going through the line, and so they just didn't, you know, people were arriving at different times and stuff like that, da, 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 so... You just kind of prayed where you're at. But anyways, so the one time, we sat down, and there were people there, and we started talking and stuff like that, and so halfway through, Marcia says to me, we didn't pray. <laughs> uh, oh, well. <laughs> you know, I'm not at this moment going to stop and punch my ticket, you know, because God's going to sit there and say what? And why are you praying right now? Because I feel, I feel unrighteous right now, because I didn't Punch my ticket. There's a guy I know years ago used to say, I think we should rather pray after the meal. That way we know if we're really what? Thankful for the food. That's right. Um, anyways, and, and so therefore it's not, just, it's not just words. It's true. God, I am really thankful for this food. Or God, I'm, I'm appreciative of the fact that you, you gave me sustenance today. <laughs> sanctify your food. You can pray and sanctify your food. If that's your heart, to do that, is what I'm saying. You understand? But so many times, it's, it's not in our heart really seeking to set a, our food apart to the Lord, but rather we are what? Amen. We're just going through a, a motion, is, is my point. And rather, we're supposed to be thankful. Thankful, 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 thankful people. Romans chapter 1, it talks about these people who, who were suppressing the truth and unrighteousness because the, although they knew God, neither were they what? Thankful. That's exactly right. One of the hallmarks of unbelievers is that they are unthankful. So again, it's, a, it's a, an argument from silence here, from, from, an, from the negative. But if it's, an, if it's an attribute of unbelievers to be unthankful, what do you think should be the attribute of believers? Gratitude. Have a gratitude attitude, right? They should be thankful all the time. 
knowing that it is the goodness of God and his grace and his mercy that gives us everything that we, we have. Psalm 136, verse 1 to 3 says, Oh, give thanks, if you haven't got this enough, right? Oh, give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good. His mercy, his chesed, endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endures forever. Now, one of the things that you look at when you're studying the Bible inductively, and you're trying to find out the message that God has for you, is that you look for repetitive, repetitive statements. What do you think God is trying to communicate to us through Psalm 136, especially verses 1 through 3? His mercy endures forever, but what else? Because of his mercy enduring forever, what should we do? Give thanks! Give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. And if you don't know necessarily who Yahweh is, I'll give you another clue. He's the God of gods. And if you're still not sure who that is, he's the Lord of lords. You get it? Give thanks. Give thanks. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks. Because he's given Jesus Christ his Son. Isn't that awesome? I mean, no, it's just a song, just a chorus. It's not a real hymn because there's not a lot of doctrine in that, right? It's just a chorus. A whole lot of power in that, though. A little chorus. The consideration of God's goodness should not just lead us to worship, but it should lead us to the desire to reflect God because, again, as we've shared every single time, the greatest outpouring of my worship to God, the greatest outpouring of my adoration to Him will be my reflection of who He is. If I desire to reflect, if I desire to emulate God in the earth, I want to be like you, Jesus. I want to be like you, Father. Then what I'm really saying is what? You are it, and you are what I want to worship and adore. And so we see this reflection in four ways. First of all, in the exercise of our lives. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. This is going to sound a whole lot like Psalm 100. Um, or Psalm 96 that we read just a little bit earlier as well. But in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 to 16, 1 Peter 2, verse 9 to 16, we read, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Now, does anybody know where that comes from? That's not original to Peter. Moses declared it in the book of Exodus to who? To the nation of Israel. That's exactly right. Peter now is bringing the spiritual application of this to the church. This is really fun stuff. And look what he says. Because of this, because we are in a sense spiritual Israel, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Why? That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but now are the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Who is he talking to? Us. Us. Believers, saints, Christians, goyim, Gentile believers. Okay? Because the, the children of Israel were the people. So here's Peter, a Jew's Jew, who Paul referred to as Cephas in his letter to the Corinthians because he was talking to the, to the Hebrews there, and Peter's Hebrew name was Cephas, right? So he's the Jew's Jew. 
He's talking, not the Jews here, he's talking to the saints, the believers, who are scattered abroad, right? And those who are scattered abroad, he says, are Gentile believers, who once were not a people. Do you understand that in the Old Testament, that you as a Gentile were not considered a person? You were outside, you were apart from the covenants of God. You were alien of God. This is what Ephesians 2 is all about. You were wrath. But through Jesus Christ, the middle wall of partition has been broken down, and now we come as one new man through Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit to God the Father. And so, Peter says, you now, this is exciting stuff, because Peter is the one who understands this this promise of Exodus. And he says, you're a royal priesthood. You're a a set-apart generation. And I'm talking to you Gentiles now. You once weren't a people, but now you're a people. And God has chosen you as a special people to do the same thing that He called Israel to do. And that is what? Declare His praises in His goodness. Yes, exactly right. Because it's His mercy. His mercy is a part of His goodness. That's what God declared. God, remember last week we looked at it from the book of Exodus. God said He was going to show His goodness, all of His goodness, to, to Moses. And as he showed his goodness to Moses, he declared his mercy and grace. That is his goodness. God's goodness is revealed to us through his mercy and his grace. And we're going to see right here at the very beginning, the very beginning of this, it talks about then we have obtained his mercy. We've obtained what? We've experienced God's goodness. The goodness of God. And so I am supposed to be declaring the goodness of God to those who are about me. That's why he has saved me. Who once were a people, but now are people of God, who have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy, continue on. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct, your lifestyle, your lives, honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, because they're calling what is good evil, and what is evil they're going to call good, that they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now stop for a moment. I am supposed to, in my lifestyle, my conduct, being honorable among the Gentiles, allow them to see what? What does it say that, that even though they call me an evildoer, evildoer, what are they supposed to see? Good works. Good deeds. May I ask you to kind of switch this around a little bit and understand that when they see your reflection of the goodness of God, they will give God the glory on the day of visitation. My good deeds are merely a reflection of God's goodness. Do you get it? If I am the light of the world, and if I'm the salt of the earth, and if and when I do the good works, what does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5 that's supposed to happen when, when I do good works? That they'll glorify the Father. And so if my good works are merely drawing attention to me, are they really of God? No. And so if I am reflecting the goodness of God in my life, people are going to be drawn to who? To God. And so what... Isn't that, I mean, ultimately, that's the greatest form of worship I can give to God, is by reflecting Him on the earth. 
in the world to those I come in contact with. And so Jesus says, what good is it if you only love those who love you? Don't even the sinners do that? But rather, if you want to be my disciple, you're not going to love just those who love you. You're going to love those who what? Hate you. And Jesus said to the disciples in John chapter 13, he says, and here in the world know that you're my disciples if you what? Have you loved one for one another? When we portray the goodness of God in our lives, when we reflect that, then the world gets an opportunity to see God's goodness fleshed out. And we're told then that in that passage, they will, which they observe, glorify God in the day of what? Visitation. You know what the day of visitation is? It's when he comes back. For some of us, that might be the rapture. For others, it may be what? Judgment. Now, I understand that there's a period of time that goes between the, 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 the catching up of the church and the, the great white throne judgment. But the fact is, whenever your visitation is, it's either going to be a good thing or a bad thing. Does that make sense? But in the end, we're told that, that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to what? Confess that Jesus Christ is Yahweh. All right, and so we continue on there. Verse 13, it says, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of, the, of man for the Lord's sake, not for your sake, but for God's sake, whether to the king is supreme or to governors or those who are sent by him, for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. You are a chosen generation. You are a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, who once were not a people, but now you are a people because you have experienced the goodness of God through His mercy in your life. And He has done that for a particular purpose, that you can proclaim to the world His goodness. And you do that through your lives, through your good acts, your good deeds. And so James says, you say you believe God, even the devils believe. And they shudder. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. There are a lot of people who are deceiving themselves. That's what James said before that. But be doers of the word and not what? Hearers only. Deceiving your own self. Now, I'm not preaching works for salvation. But Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 9, has a verse 10 that goes along with it. In verse 8 and 9 says, By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are, verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which he has before ordained that we should walk in them. God ordained for those who were saved by his goodness to reflect his goodness in their lives. Now we know that that goodness is a matter of his mercy and his grace. Mercy and grace. 
Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. How many times Paul started off his, his messages with that. What about you? I won't talk about me. I'm just going to talk about you because I know I've already flunked at this thing. Okay? So I don't want to talk about me. It makes me feel bad. So I want to talk about you. So what about you? Grace, mercy, goodness. Is it a picture of your life? Go on to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 to 16. Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy. Wouldn't you like to know why God did it for you? Paul's helping you out. For this reason, I obtained mercy, that in me, first, Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Why did God, again, declare his goodness shower his goodness through his grace and mercy upon you. So you can be a testimony to the rest of the world who are still in darkness, who need to experience his grace and mercy. And they will experience his goodness first through you. Going through this week with the Missionary Candidate School, you know, one of the things that they, you know, I, it's kind of hard for me being there, going there as a, you know, church planter in the United States, considering myself a missionary, you know. I'm a pastor, you know. But I was around people who were missionaries. I mean, there were people going to Vanuatu or some island, some near Australia, New Zealand or whatever, and they really do have cannibals still living on the islands. the only known place that they have cannibals. They are what? They're missionaries. And, and you, know, you know what I mean? I mean, I mean, they are missionaries. That's kind of, you know, when kind of, you, know you, you worship God, but you look at these people and you feel like you're in the presence of, of Moses and all these other guys that, that God has raised up, you know? But I'm always reminded, I'm always mindful of the fact that each one of us in this room right now are what? You're missionaries. God has placed you on your own mission field to declare his goodness to a people who are lost in darkness. It's not for you to live the American dream. It's not for you to be embroiled in the sports of the world, which is something that we use as a tool. I understand that. But we're here for a purpose, and it's to bring glory to God and his goodness so that others can go with you to the place of eternal joy. In the exercise of our lives, but also, secondly, in the exercise of our words, we're supposed to be revealing the goodness of God, reflecting the goodness of God. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, then down to chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. But rather be kind to one another, tenderhearted, that's merciful, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore be imitators of God, as dear children. So how do I imitate God? With my mouth, with my words. By allowing my mouth to impart grace and mercy. Forgiveness, tenderhearted. I wish I could tell you that I was the epitome of the reflection of God in this. But our mouth, as James said, is, 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 is like, a, like a fire. It's like a match burning down a forest. It's like the rudder of a ship steering it. And it's, with it we, we bring out bitterness and we bring out sweetness. With it we bring out death and we bring out life. But it is the major tool in my life that God has given to me to pour out His goodness. I have got to work on giving affirmation verbally to people. I I am very introverted. I know people who say, there's no way you can be. I know what my task is in life. And so I push myself outside it. But I would much rather be sitting in the corner by myself playing a game of solitaire. Does that make sense? And as that, I tend to be, though I may appear to be talkative at times, I, I would rather be much more quiet. And so I tend not to do that. Because I excuse myself because I'm what? It's just who I am. I'm not excused from it. Do you get it? I have to use my mouth to edify others, to bring grace, God's grace, through my mouth to other people. And what is God's grace? It's receiving what I don't deserve. In my estimation, now understand, I'm not, I'm going to use my own illustration, okay? In my estimation, at times, my wife or my children don't deserve my compliments. Okay, that's what? That's my estimation, which is what? Very faulty at best at times. Do you get it? But grace is when I give what I don't believe that they are what? Worthy of. They may very well be worthy of it. But I know, by God's standards, I'm not worthy. And that's not even a matter of debate. Do you get it? And so, if judicially, God is gracious to me, how much more should I be to those I come in contact with? How about merciful, forgiving? Is it let all wrath and bitterness and, and, and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you? But on the contrary, to do you what? To be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving. To be merciful with my lips. Thirdly, in the exercise of our gifts. In the exercise of our gifts. 1 Peter 4, you don't need to turn there. Turn to Romans 12 with me, and I'll read 1 Peter 4.10 for you. 
And Peter says in 1 Peter 4.10, it says, As each one has received a gift, minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Romans 12, beginning of verse 3, it says, For I say, though the grace, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one out a measure of faith. And then he goes on to explain, for each we have each members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Ministry, let us minister. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. The Greek word for for grace is what? Charis. Charis. Does anybody know what the Greek word for spiritual gift is? Say again. Charisma. It is a good gift from God. It is a gift of God's grace to you. He has given something to you that you don't deserve. And so many times, people like to use their spiritual gifts for what? Self-service. Self-acclamation. Self-exposure. That's why the whole talk about the, the speaking in tongues. It wasn't supposed to happen just flippantly in the, in the body. The gift of healing wasn't the, for people to be attracted. I mean, Paul and Barnabas were just abhorred when, when the, the town wanted to call them gods. Because they healed a guy not to draw attention to themselves, but to draw attention to, to God. And so we're told in God's Word that these gifts of God's grace are to be used by us according to God's grace. Not for ourselves, but toward people who don't deserve it being used for them. As stewards of the manifold grace of God. He's using us. Do you get it? That's why He's gifted you. Because He wants you to be a part of His grace process in this world. He wants to bless the socks off of somebody else and he wants you to do it. He wants, you're the hammer. You're the toy he's going to use. And you get to be a part of it. Isn't that cool? He doesn't need you to do that. Can God bless your socks off without using somebody else? He can. But isn't it cool when he chooses to use you to do it? But so many times we miss it. We miss the blessing of being used by God because we're not th- focused on being used as, in the manifold grace of God. We're focused on who? Ourselves. And it's all about me and not about God. And so, we reflect God in the exercise of our gifts. And I, I, I put our gifts there, but you understand it's what? It's really not mine anyway, is it? I mean, he gave it to me, so in a sense it's mine and it's in me, but it's really not mine anyway. And then finally, in the exercise of our, of our faith, turn to Second Peter 3, to the very end of Peter's second epistle, where Peter is wrapping up. He knows his life is coming to an end. And so he gives his final exhortation to 
to the believers. In verse 17 and 18, we know verse 18, but verse 18 is, a, is a, um, the second part of 17. It says, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, and what is this? What's the this that they know beforehand? Say again? Suffering is a part of life. No, that's not, um, that's not I mean, that, that's, that's a little bit in here, but what's, what's, what is specifically happening in chapter 3 of, of what is he writing about? I'm, I'm, new heaven and new earth. Keep going back a little further now. What's the new heaven and new earth as a result of? Salvation is a part of it too. Judgment. Judgment. God's going to judge the earth. He's talking about the end times. God's going to judge the earth. But God is what? Long-suffering. He's not willing that any should what? Perish. But that all should come to changing the way they think. Should come to repentance. Because there's going to come a point where God says what? That's it. Time's done. In the fullness of time, it's over. And, and there is going to be judgment that comes upon the earth. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And God's going to begin his judgment where? In the household of God, the household of faith. And so, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the air of the wicked. How do you do that? But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. The greatest way to combat the sin and error of the world is to be focused on the goodness of God. To keep your eyes focused on Christ. Notice what he says, but grow in the what? Grace and in the knowledge. That's our word gnosko. It's not oida, it's not edo, it's not the, the word meaning factual knowledge, but grow in the factual knowledge of God. No, Grow in your relational knowledge of God. Don't be content to sit where you are. Have you grown personally? Not because you've come to church and heard me preach, but in your own life, have you grown intimately with God over the past 20 years? 10 years? 5 years? 5 weeks? Or are you sitting, quote-unquote, fat, dumb, and happy? Peter says, listen, because you know it. If you really believe it, if you really believe that these things are happening, then it's going to change the way you think. It's going to change the way you act. It's going to change the focus of your life. It's going to increase the level of your faith because you will now have a focus on growing in the goodness of God and understanding of who he is in your life. This is life eternal. You're not going to get eternal life. You have eternal life. John said in 1 John 5, he says, These things write I unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. I have it right now. You can't kill me. You can stop me from living in this tent, but you can't kill me. 
I'm going to continue to exist and I'm going to continue to go on, but now in my next step, I'm going to go on to be in the presence of God. How much more I want to know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. Even now, in the flesh. And I grow in that when I grow in His grace. When I consider His goodness. To me, who am not worthy of it at all. How much of God's grace did you get when you got saved? You got it all, didn't you? So how do you grow in it? By understanding more and more what a worm you are and how awesome he is. People look at me, I remember years ago, he's a chaplain in the military, and I shared that once, and he says, you really need to grow in your self-esteem. I said, dude, you need, to, you, need to, you need to come to awareness of who you really are. I mean, my self-esteem is awesome. I know who I am. And praise God, I know who I am because of Jesus Christ. Do you get it? I mean, I don't know what a better self-esteem you can have. I'm a child of God. I'm eternal. It is not because of me. It's because of God. In spite of me. My righteousness is like a filthy rag. Even as a believer, I'm not talking about the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is awesome and glorifying to God. But anytime Bob forgets about that imputed righteousness and he looks back to his own righteousness, it's what? It's putrid before God. So, how have you appropriated the goodness of God in your life? God in his goodness desires to redeem you and to restore you. Are you willing to accept it by faith? I trust that all of you have done that, but I don't know, maybe some here, you haven't done that. How have you reflected the goodness of God in your life? How have you reflected the goodness of God in your words? In your gifts? And finally, in your faith? How real is worship in your life? Do you really stop to ponder the goodness of God in your life? Or is it social? I am, you know, as I've pondered this path of going toward being considered a church planting missionary um, in this work, and as I've pondered writing our first prayer letter, because missionaries do that kind of thing, you know, and, um, but it's important, you know, it, it is. And, and God is humbling me to understand that I have to do things that are not necessarily in my personality part. But I, I felt like I've needed to answer the, the, the questions that people are going to have, and the question is always going to be why. Why now? Why you? Why Augusta, Georgia? You know, it's the Bible Belt. Because they, they, they're all about the Word of God down there. And the sad fact is what? They're not. Jesus said these people worship me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. And the hardest part for me is I feel like I'm lifting myself up and seeking to glorify myself when I say that because what I'm saying is what? I got it right. And I don't mean that. And so that's why it's so hard for me to come to this and, and, and to this point and say, This is why we need to be here. But I ask this question to myself and to to, to the world, to, to the rest of Christendom. How real 
How real? Not emotional, not logical, real. How real is your worship for God? We're going to take some time now to do that, I hope, to worship God. Let's turn in our hymnals to 330.